Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Jerry. And this is Sean. And Actually, this we should have done that Sean Jerry because I'm first on the banner. You cocksucker. Sorry. Welcome to the 34th episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. Woo! This podcast is older than me. That's right. Basically what I'm trying to say is I never thought we'd make it this far, Jerry. Every week we're working on not making it this far. But somehow we keep screwing that and up. And I know that we always, we always uh, give people crap. Rightfully so, for not leaving iTunes reviews or spreading the gospel. Come on. Right? Yeah. More people should know who we are. The X-Men are way more popular than the three people who listen to us. It's all true. It's true. Um, So say something that would convince them. I would just like to say that even though we give everyone grief for not giving us iTunes reviews, that I still do appreciate everyone who listens. And I'm glad they're on board and I'm glad they love the X-Men. Just a little bit less than we do, because I don't think there's anyone on the planet who loves the X-Men as much as Jerry and I. No. They might try to pretend by hiding behind facts that they know and being X-perts. Nice. But no, they don't love them as much as we do. And if they say they do, fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. What am I doing being nice? Fuck everybody. Not you guys. Not you guys. No, that's a mistake. Actually, the people who don't like our show, I would do what Mystique is about to do in Uncanny X-Men number 177. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, no? getting, you're breaking the format, Sean. Sorry. Previously on X-Men. <laughs> Previously on X-Men. Previously, we saw Cyclops leaving the band, just like Sean quit his... Greatest band ever, way back in 2000, aught OW. I think I quit in uh, probably 2009, maybe. Best movie ever made. GX Pod thanks you. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Uh, My whole existence thanks me. Uh, yes. So Cyclops has moved on to greener pastures uh, where he can have sex at all times, and it's pretty great for him. So now that Cyclops, the worst X Men, is out of the way, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> Jerry got boom mics now that he can swing in front of me, and he tries to hit me in the face with them because I do not like to stand next to a microphone. Brings back horrible flashbacks. Right, but forget all that, Sean, because we're at a very important juncture here. When we got to this issue of the X Men, Uncanny X Men number one seventy seven. I took one look at the cover and was instantly transported to the first time I read this issue, and it blew my mind. That's true. You know, sometimes we forget to mention the mission statement of this show. Every time. You know, we always do that. So uh, if you're a new listener or if you're an old listener who's got lost, 
the point of the show is Jerry and I try to get in the mindset of what it was like when we were reading these the first time as youngsters, and we try to find that like happy little energy so we can combat the uh, vitriol and hate that the internet spews towards the comic industry. Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about having crushes on Rain Sinclair, which I do, I'm not doing it as a creepy 33-year-old. I'm doing it as a 9-year-old. Occasionally we have guests on to discuss their favorite stories, and uh, usually we tell them what their favorite stories are because we're going in chronological order now. That's right. We did kind of. We now that we hit the sweet spot, yeah. uh, like there's no there's no jumping ahead and jumping back. We're guests are staying here. down the door to appear on this show. That's right. But this time, this one's too important to me. We could not share this with anyone else. Yeah, that's the story. <laughs> Isn't that what happened? Totally. All right. You know why? You know why this issue is so special to me? Issue one seventy seven of Uncanny X Men. Written by Chris Claremont, drawn by John Romita Jr., inked by John Romita Sr. Oh, family affair. Shit. Tom Orzakowski was the letterer. Glynis Ween was the cuddlerist. Now, I've been meaning to ask this the entire time that we've been doing that. Is that Mrs. Ween, as in Len Wein's wife? So is it Wein? Am I saying it right? Yes. All right. Yes, they are. I, you know, I think we did discuss this one, Sean, and Holy we were all, shit. are they still married? And Virginia I don't know. Virginia Ramita was the traffic manager. I don't know what that means. I will tell you what that all means. Right, Virginia go. Ramita is Senior's wife. I met her. Very nice. Get out of here. Yeah. When you went to the offices? Um, No. It was New York Comic Con, and I was in line to meet Bendis. And John Romita Jr. and John Romita Sr. because they were signing all together. Uh-huh. And Mrs. Romita was there. She was standing in between John oh, Sr. Yeah. and John. And it was really funny because the kid in front of me had a kick-ass hardcover. Uh-huh. And uh, Mrs. First name Virginia. But Mrs. Romita grabbed it. And it was very funny to watch her because she was like a, a proud mother. <laughs> like she was like, oh, Johnny, I think this is your best work. And it was like she was going to hang it on the fridge. It was, it was, it was pretty funny. I disagree. I, I disagree as well, but she's his mother. <laughs> she is. That's so sweet. Yeah. She seems like a sweet lady. She was. I was very sad because I didn't know that John Romita Sr. was going to be there. And right. so I had like nothing for him to sign. And yeah. I just felt like it. It's like when I met Claremont, like I didn't even know he was going to be there. And I freaked the fuck out. No one was at his table when I met Claremont. I went to Motor City Comic Con on a whim. And I was like... <sighs> No. Anyways. It's weird because now the dude is swamped at every show we've ever been at. He's somehow it people are just, starting to realize again that it might how important have, yeah, it was. It might have just been timing, but I remember it was like when his series Gen X came out and it was a terrible mini series that yeah. I did not enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I felt bad because it was like I went up there with like a couple, you know, issues that were my favorites from his run. Mm-hmm. Um, in retrospect, I wish that I had like known that he was going to be there so I could have brought books for my collection instead of running around like a fucking asshole trying to find <laughs> issues and having to rebuy them. Um, but I felt like a jerk going up to him with like out anything new. You are a jerk. I am a jerk. I didn't give him anything new. Yeah, but you know, there isn't a lot new. Yeah, but it's like you, you know, you meet a musician and you're like, man, your first record was awesome. Yeah. Wait, you're not supposed to do that? I try not to meet musicians. Yeah. Good plan. 
Yeah, they they hang out in shady spots. They do. Disco clubs. Yeah, oh, you know I can't abide a disco club. Yeah. They're unsafe, Alan. Yeah, you'll run into that old bitch. <laughs> we are way off track. We are. You are this trying to keep me from yeah, this issue. Yeah, this is going to be the most terrible it. episode ever. Sean, there's something special about this issue. There's always been something special about it. And it was, as a kid... I read this thing a million times. I loved it. I always thought it was the best Ramita ever looked. And I couldn't figure out why. Because as a kid, I probably wasn't even conscious that Ramita Jr. was the penciler on the book. Right. Um, I just wasn't that sophisticated a reader. But it turns out that his dad, one of the greatest Marvel artists of all time, inked this book. And you can tell, man, it's a beaut. Yes, sir. And in addition to that, it has one of the best opening sequences, one of the most savage and violent opening sequences of any Marvel book ever. You don't see this much violence in a book now. And I think things are are a lot more relaxed than they were back in the early 80s. But um, the book has a, a Ramita cover of... Wolverine standing over the corpse, what appears to be the corpse of Kitty Pride. What's that all about? I don't know. So it opens in a, in a carnival and, you know, there's the typical Claremont dialogue boxes giving some exposition about the setting and whatever. And, and then, um, you know, Mystique is like, Oh, you know, I dreamed of running away to the circus and this brings back all those memories and, I'm so easily distracted by them, and I shouldn't have been, because you see Wolverine leaping at her, claws extended from behind. And uh, he tags her with his claws in the armpit. And then uh, there's a very brief battle between the two. No explanation of why this is happening, how they got there, nothing. You just, you just know Wolverine is trying to kill Mystique for some reason. And she's given him plenty of reasons. So you just assume... <laughs> This is all copacetic. Of course he'd be trying to kill her. It's Wolverine. Wolver Mystique is a bitch. He should kill the shit out of her. Um, but he takes a lunge at her and gets his claws stuck in a glass window. And she slits his throat. And he drops to the ground, bleeding to death. And, you know, I, I didn't buy this off the shelf. I was almost 20 issues ahead of this by the time I went back and got this. But still, because I was a kid, you know, I, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my God, Wolverine just died on this page. Dude, I'm going to be honest with you. When we, when I reread this, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yes. But Sean, it gets worse because Kitty phases out of the ground right in front of Wolverine's corpse. And she's like, oh, Wolverine. Oh no. What's happened? This is terrible. And you just see. A close-up of her face with bloods kind of coming out of her open mouth. And you see Snicked at the bottom of the panel. Yeah. And then you see Wolverine standing over her with her in an ever-expanding pool of blood. So now Kitty's dead, but Wolverine's alive. What the fuck? Oh, it's Mystique. So she's now wasted your two favorite X-Men, right? Yeah. I mean, these two are the two everybody's talking about. And she should not have killed Kitty Pride because who loves Kitty Pride more than life itself? Colossus does. 
and he is pissed. And we all know that when Colossus gets pissed, necks get snapped. He goes McRage. He right? does. And he steps in to waste Mystique, but this is, we talked about this before. The cool thing for me about Mystique is from this book, she snatches one of those little skulls off of her belt and it's like a flare skull and she jams it right in his face and melts the steel on his face. He crumples in agony. A third X-Men is down, but now your boy Cyclops. And here's where the warning signs should have started going off. Right. Because Cyclops isn't on the team anymore. He's off banging Maddie in some airplane. <laughs> we hope. Yeah. But uh, he nearly snaps her in half with a eye blast to her lower back. And uh, she runs into a fun house. And we get like a classic comic book moment. Don't overthink it. This is comics. Right. And as a kid... This is totally written for kids because this, this whole little sequence, I ate up. This was so important to the formation of Jerry's little brain. Cyclops follows her in and, uh, Colossus is staggered in, in front of Cyclops and you see Colossus and all these mirrors in the fun house and you see Mystique drawing a bead on Colossus and Cyclops tries to zap Mystique. And he shoots her, but it goes right through her and like bounces off a bunch of mirrors through a series of focusing devices that are placed just so because Mystique knew exactly where Cyclops was going to stand. And, uh, they make his beam powerful enough to penetrate anything, even a body composed of organic steel. And you see. At that point, you see it punch right through Colossus's midriff. And then this is, this page haunts my dreams, man, because all this has been really visceral, but the next page, Cyclops realizes what's just happened, how he's been played. And of course he's like, no. And you just see two, you see Mystique's two hands with a garrote wire coming up behind him. And you're like, oh, fuck, no, no, not Cyclops. But she gets him, man, and she chokes the shit out of him on panel. Yeah. Like, chokes him to death. This is rough. Oh, man. It, like, just, I was not prepared for this. And then she comes across Storm, and she's just getting them one after the other. And you keep thinking, each one gets madder at her. Each one is more powerful. Somebody's finally going to put a stop to her. But uh, Storm tries to zap her with a lightning bolt, but Mystique is, of course, changed to a lightning bolt absorbing costume. Like you do. Like you do. Ridiculous now, but I mean, tailor made for cool reading as a kid. And uh, she redirects the blast. And you're like, oh no, Storm's going to get killed by her own powers. But no, Storm dodges it. Yay! Unfortunately, there's a giant fuel tanker behind her. And it incinerates her instantly. The guy driving that thing is going to feel real bad for parking it right there. (sighs) What an asshole. So next, Mystique is faced with fighting her own daughter, Rogue. And she's like, Rogue, you should come back home to me. And Rogue is like, F you, lady. I made my choice. I'm with the X-Men now. And I'm going to bust you up. And uh Mystique just goes Han Solo on her. Yep. Original Han Solo. Yeah. 
not special edition Han Solo. I don't believe in the special editions. And she vaporizes Rogue in an eerily inked panel. I mean, Rogue just turns into a series of lines and Kirby dots. Yep. And uh, the reaction of Mystique in the next panel where she just, she's like destroyed. I don't care. She deserves it. She does. Because what she's about to do next is even worse. <laughs> you would think so. Because anybody that's keeping count, there's only one X-Men left, and that's one of our favorites, Nightcrawler, who has an, a mysterious connection that is not yet explained to Mystique. He grabs Mystique and teleports her all over the place, thinking that that would sap her. And for some reason, it doesn't. And she, this is really interesting, Sean. She pulls another skull off of her belt and it turns into a stiletto. Yeah. And she raises it up over her head to plunge it into his neck, but she hesitates and he doesn't. And he knocks her the fuck out. Good. She wakes up in her apartment and, uh, she's being tended to by destiny and, um, who walks in? Arcade. And Miss Locke. And Miss Locke. And there's your explanation, folks. That's how all the X-Men died. Whew. Man, did I breathe the sigh of relief of all sigh of relief. Right. When I read that. Even though they had to still be alive. Yeah. I mean, it, um, Mystique mentions that that's, it's basically like this was the introduction of her version of the danger room for the new brotherhood. Right. And um, she also made mention that one of the robots was set to kill. Yeah. And, and so she asked. And she which, didn't know which one. Yeah, she didn't know which one it was. And Arcade said it was Rogue. Naturally, the obvious choice. It's pretty tough. So she probably would not be sitting on her couch with a cold compress over her head had she not wasted her. No. Nope. Remorselessly, like the true villain she is. So, Sean, that opening sequence is part one of why this book is so special to me because it is so incredibly savage yeah it really left a mark uh the next sequence um i find it um like this was one of your first comics uh it was really early on yeah i mean i started buying them new um and when i there was just a little shop in our neighborhood that we used to go to, to buy new stuff. And, um, it was, you know, close enough. I could ride my bike to in 10 minutes or whatever. And I get there, but there was a bigger shop that you probably remember classic movies and comics I do. that was more like an hour and a half ride away. And a couple times every summer, me and my buddies would decide earlier in the week, we're doing it this weekend. We're, nice. we're riding. All the way out there, and we're going to go shopping, buy a whole bunch of back issues. Because that was the first shop I'd ever been in that had, like, a huge selection of back issues. And you could, whatever you could afford, you could buy, yeah. almost. So that's, I, you know, we went out there, and I bought a big chunk, as much as I could afford, whichever ones looked the coolest. And Nightcrawler's stand, or uh, Wolverine standing over a dead kitty looked really interesting at the time. So I bought that one. And... That's probably the most memorable one I bought from the Ramita run. Um, but I bought that probably around the same time I bought all those Paul Smith issues. Yeah. And, you know, just spent a summer reading and rereading those. 
My first comic was one where a bunch of the X-Men died. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. This was a mastermind story. Like a baby Rachel and Nathan killed Scott. <laughs> what are they doing? I thought Iceman was the leader of the X-Men. <laughs> he should be. He should. I only say that for you. Thank you. So uh, I guess the middle part of this book isn't quite as important. There's uh, a whole thing where they're rehashing the fact that Storm's personality has changed severely since right around the Wolverine miniseries. You started to see some serious swings in her personality to a more severe, stern, um, joyless, violent Storm. Yeah. And a freaked out Kitty because the two of them were as tight as anybody on the team. And the, her, the change in her, you know, with the, the leather vest and the mohawk and the, you know, her personality changes as well as her physical changes are, you know, the physical changes are a reminder every time she sees her how much she's changed on the inside. Yeah. So Stevie, this is weird that as much as Aurora's change, you'd think the first thing she would do is just slit Stevie Hunter's neck because <laughs> she hates her right. so much, but they actually have a heart to heart, which is surprising to me. That she would trust Stevie enough to tell her anything. Because if there's somebody I don't like, they don't, like, I don't tell them shit, man. Yeah. You know, but so there's a little bit of the old Aurora. But I also so. think that the old Aurora, who was um, jealous of Kitty's relationship with Stevie, mm -hmm. probably doesn't have time for that bullshit in her right. newfangled personality. Like, she's That's probably true. a little, like, I don't even think she has the same amount of patience with kitty anymore either oh definitely she's going not. through some shit so yeah okay, i'll give her a pass yeah and she knows it and she's uncomfortable with it too she's trying to figure it out just like everybody else we uh jerry and i we weren't unfortunately we weren't recording but i had a very long conversation with jerry about my storm mohawk ears <laughs> i as it I, had I been your kitty pride, I would have been very freaked out. Yep. So, so then, oh, it oh. cuts to, uh, the star jammer. Mm -hmm. And you've got Professor Xavier saying his goodbye to Lalantra because she has to go back and win the throne back. And, uh, Cyclops and Alex are also there. And, uh, Cyclops is basically saying, this is why we aren't coming with you. Hope you understand. And he does, they hug, they feel bad about it, but it's their duty to go and reclaim the Shi'ar throne. And which... I th I really think Corsair is happy they're not going yeah. because he's not equipped to be dear old dad. Yeah, no he... dad really likes their kids, so he's like... Whew. Right. Get to bust out of here. Maybe I can give... Uh, maybe Lilandro will be in a real down place from uh, leaving Charles vulnerable. Right. Anything goes in space. Yep. Nobody can hear you scream. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Edit. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know that. So. Uh, can I just say, though, that I'm a little disappointed that I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe it's the X-Men spot spotlight on the Star Jammers issues that I have coming my way that we'll talk about two years from now. Uh, but I really would have liked to have seen this. Like, I wanted Lalandra space opera 
fighting for a throne in the book. Oh. During this time, you know? Oh, I see what It's kind of like they go off and they do Star Jammery stuff. But I yeah. would have actually really liked to see, like, Carol as binary yeah. in a Star Jammer's book and, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Yes. But, I mean, we got more than our fill of that from Ed Brubaker. Uh, yeah. No, I... The, the part that makes me laugh is, like, I know that people were fucking freaking out when all new X-Men tied into Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, you're just doing it as a goddamn crash grab. And, like, I get it because it's Guardians and the movie had just come out. But I think sometimes people forget the amount of time the X-Men spend in space. Yeah. Like. It is easy to forget. Yeah. I mean, there there are stretches where they didn't. So if you came in during one of those stretches, it's easily forgettable. But yeah, it is a weird, I mean, I, 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 my guess is that they did that so much in the beginning because it was really Cockrum's strength. I mean, right. the best stuff he did was always stuff with the Shi'ar and the Brood. Um, but so, up until the, the Australian stuff, they're in space a lot. And they then are, when they get yeah. back, like the, the early Claremont Lee stuff is all Shi'ar, Muir Island Saga, all like dovetails into that. Uh-huh. And then like Asteroid M, you know, it might not be Shi'ar that they're dealing with, but they're still dealing with space. Yeah. And Age of Apocalypse is kicked off by something to do with the M-Crime Crystal and Legion Quest. And, you know, mm-hmm. they spent a lot of time in space, man. That's all great. I just really wish it didn't lead to Kitty hooking up with Peter Quill. Ah, uh, absolutely. That's <laughs> terrible. I mean, I, I, I know I'm probably trapped in the past, and I know that Peter's hooked up with Domino and whoever else, and it's not just Kitty. But I just really want Kitty and Colossus together. Yeah, me too. I mean, that was my childhood. Those two were like. I don't know. Two people that you want to see together. That's who they're like. Did your parents have a great relationship? Uh, doubt it. Okay. I'm too, too old. So probably as a youngster, instead of viewing your parents as the perfect relationship, you probably glommed on to Kitty and Peter. They were more your age. Well, they weren't like, like, yeah, they weren't parent, parental figures, but they were, I don't know. They were like the couple you thought were going to make it, which was ridiculous because she was 14. But I mean, it was gross. Like, but I mean, as a as a kid, you view that completely differently. You're like, oh, I wish a 19 year old would give me a chance. Yeah, but I mean, fuck, dude, half the uh, half the reason why I hate Morrison's Run so much is because I was so connected to Gene and Scott's relationship, right? And and that you know, I know that everybody knows that I hate the new X Men Run, and one day when we get to it, we'll get into the very reason why. But played into the. Not being the best time. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. We got to get back it's into the somewhere story. In between. So, um, double date time, Sean. Yeah. Kitty and Peter and Amanda Kurt and, and Kurt Amanda. Head down to the Lincoln Center. Were they going to the opera? It doesn't I matter. They're going to the Royal Ballet at the Lincoln Center. Oh, snap. Kitty does love dancing. She it does. doesn't really matter where they're going because they never get there. Right. They don't. Um, but I do want to point out that if you didn't know before this that Ramita Sr. was inking this book, when you see the close-up of Amanda Sefton's face on page 
Oh, it's not numbered, of course. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle of the book, you that is a Ramita face. Yeah. She is lovely. S- Super Steve is nodding in agreement right now. Yeah. So um so they split up. They drop Kurt and Amanda off at the door and then they go to park the car the Rolls Royce in some seedy parking lot. Yep. And uh as as Peter and Kitty are approaching, um there's an explosion in an upper floor of a high rise. And Peter, being the hero he is, turns into Colossus, his clothes tear off, leaving him in his European briefs, and uh he storms into the building and he finds not an explosion but the blob who smacks him so hard he goes flying out of a building yep and uh is caught in a giant flaming firebird that's starting to get old yeah uh but luckily it's not the phoenix it's just pyro it's just it's only pyro the australian slash british dude um <laughs> and the confusion is, were you one of the people that thought he was Australian? I thought he was Australian. Yeah, I did too. And then we found out in the cartoon. Well, it was in the, the burn, the early burn stuff. He, he mentioned specifically that he was English. And I was like, well, why the fuck did I think he was Australian? And I think there was a retcon at some point. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. But, um, so this is number two, why this issue was so special to me. And this, I shouldn't say special so much as horrifying because um Pyro keeps Colossus trapped in this firebird that he can't free himself from long enough to heat him red hot, then white hot, then incandescent before finally releasing him from hundreds of feet up in the air and crashing to the ground, forming a crater where we find Avalanche waiting to complete the third act of Terminator two. Yep. And he causes a bunch of liquid nitrogen uh trucks to roll towards the crater that Psych or Colossus is in. And they crash into Colossus, a, a glowing hot Colossus. And um turn him into a statue. Yeah. Yeah. The the trucks rupture. Kitty hears Col- Colossus's scream runs towards him and finds him frozen, tr- like trapped in the earth. His lower body is trapped, completely trapped in the earth. And, um, and dude, I mean, he's doing his best Garak impression. Yeah, he looks like Garak. Yeah, but I mean, he's kind of like Han Solo at the end of Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Frozen. Jerry's perfectly. super obsessed with Star Wars right now. Oh, I can't help it. So, Sean, I know I've told you this story already, but this issue, when I went and bought all, all those back issues, they didn't have the issue after this. No. It was years and years before I found out whatever happened to the dude. Like, how the hell did he get out of this one? That's awesome, man. You know, I mean, I get it that everybody really likes digital comics and that there's you know, you can order from comic book stores and they have what back issues they have online. So it's really easy to get those. But there's something that I just adore about the hunt. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Fucking pay off when you find a book you've been looking for for a really long time at a convention or, you know, some small hole in the wall shop. Yep. Awesome. 
the older you get, the more weary you get from a hunt like that. That's what I used to do at conventions. I never went in artist alley. I never yeah. went to panels. I just dug through back issue bins. That's all I do. I can't do it anymore. Mm. Can't do it. So, Uncanny 178. So you, you will instantly see a change in this book because you don't have Ramita Senior inking it anymore. We're back to Bob Wyacek. Yep. The inker on the Paul Smith run. And I mentioned it before, not my favorite look no? on Ramita's stuff. Dodson! Dodson! We've got Dodson here! Brett Breeding also helps with the inker, inking du- duties. I can't tell who's doing which pages. Right. Um, but I want to point out the opening splash page is a continuation from the end. It's uh, Kitty finding Colossus's iced over body, and <laughs> it's a slightly different angle this time. So everything's exactly the same, but it's turned 90 degrees, so it's Colossus from a profile. Yeah. And coming out of this rubble that Colossus is stuck in, <laughs> there's a gi- this cannot be a coincidence. There's a giant steel girder coming out from underneath his groin. <laughs> Sticking out at just the right angle. So, I can't turn it off now. Like, I find these things all the time, and I'm just like, oh, come on. I never noticed that until this last time I read it, and I was like, are you even kidding me? They think they're getting away with some shit. So, laughing aside, she's completely devastated. Let me cut to the mansion. Xavier's going through the mail. And he finds the most disturbing <laughs> photograph of all time. Scott Summers is a pimp, man. He oh. is. It's a photograph of him and Madeline in bed, a heart-shaped honeymoon suite bed. <laughs> and Cyclops, like, Madeline's covered up by the covers, and Scott is, like, peacocking. Like, he's got his <laughs> arms behind his, stretched out behind his head. And it's almost like he just set the Polaroid timer and was like, wait till the old bastard sees this. First you didn't get Jean, now you don't get her look-alike. Check it out, old man, look what I did. Like, who would send that? Basically, Xavier is Scott's father figure. Who would send that to their father? Scott Summers. Jesus. It's almost like he hates him and wants to kill him. Right? Oh, shut up. (laughs) I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I'm right, damn it. See the video. Yeah, okay. Uh, who took the photo? Oh, Sean went to a dark place. Yeah. Timer. I, let's say it was a timer. I don't remember timers being on Polaroid cameras. And he sure didn't send that to the photo map booth. Nope. Anyhow. Nice. Yeah. Moment of silence. I... Wanted to mention that I think I've got this in my notes. Let me check real quick. So I, I, I'm surprised you passed this up because there's a panel right before he opens the letter as he's opening the letter that is so perfect X mansion. Like it's how I wish I could read every single one of these X comics. It's just Professor X and Rogue alone in the mansion and they're chilling in the same room. Which is weird, sort of, but cool at the same time, uh, because only a family would do that. I mean, if you were there with somebody you didn't know very well, you'd probably go 
Right. It's a big place. You'd probably go find your own spot. But they're sitting in the same room, Professor X in the only chair he's ever known, <laughs> sitting in front of the fire, opening his ma- his mail, and uh, and Rogue is just curled up in a big comfy chair. Yep. Reading a book. Listening to her headphones. I love it, man. I love the picture that that paints. Yeah, the detail of it. I love the out, like the way that it goes from like the outer shot of the mansion, and you see that the fireplace is going, like the little chimney, right? And then they're all tucked away in the little tiny room in front of the fireplace. Sean, you're getting good at this. Well, what can you say? Thirty-four episodes in, I should have uh, at some point gotten a little better. So, uh, Kitty cries out. You know, does the little old telepathic call to Xavier explaining what happened. Because he's in her mind, but just the tip. Yep. Yeah. Bastard. Right. So Xavier sends out a distress call mentally to Storm and Wolverine because he understands that it's the Brotherhood. Mystique's probably there, so he doesn't want to alert Rogue because he's a little skeptical about where her allegiances might lie. Yeah. If right out of the gate they're hanging out and fighting her mom. Interesting because he's the one that's been in her corner the whole time. But even he's not dumb enough to think, oh, we'll just invite Rogue along. Right. So, uh... Storm and Wolverine head out, uh, and then you want to take the Xavier getting mind blasted? Oh, well, before that happens, um, a really quick uh, danger room training scene, Wolverine's just straddling his six-pack of bruise on the floor in the danger room, and I, I dig this because he's practicing with Storm, who's doing a flyby on his tower, and he... She's got her leather look, you know, her her vest and shit, but she's wearing her old cape. Yeah. And I think this costume looks cool as hell, man. I do too. Yeah. Uh, no cleavage. She's demure here. It covers all that up. Well, she's, that's got to go. She's, <laughs> she's keeping it classy, but the cape, surprisingly, works really well. Does it looks good? I love it, man. And she's not wearing a vest anymore. It's like a one piece yeah. thing. It's no, like a sleeveless. Awesome. It's it's cool. Really like the costume. But uh so he slashes off a big chunk of her cape as she flies by, which is the test. And, and he's like, piece of cake. And she's like, well, next time I'll fly faster. And I'm like, yeah, you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. But she's all uh Yukio now. So she, that, she's into that kind of shit. But cool continuity. The cape stays slashed through the rest of this story. Like both issues. I dug that. Now the mind blast scene. This is the first X-Men lead-in, right? Yeah. To Secret Wars. Is this the first one? I think so. It might not be. It might be the second, but I know that this is in the early stages of laying the groundwork where you're like, why the hell is this happening to the professor? Yes, this is the first one. So he's he senses that he's been scanned by some alien force, uh, and it does a real number on his brain. Um and that's that. So, yeah, it's laying the groundwork for Secret Wars. We won't tell you why, because we'll get there. Um, But Kitty is determined to save Peter, and she just so happens to remember that she saw a dealy with Reed Richards giving a presentation about some newfangled thing that he has. Uh, yep. Kitty remembers reading about Reed. Um, he came up with his – she read a – thing about a device that he came up with in scientific american right 
and it does something where it uh, thaws organic matter without causing harm to it, there which is an actual real issue. If you, I mean, sweet. I worked in a cell culture lab once, and I can tell you that it was a tricky business, thawing frozen science, bitch. Science. <laughs> I got nothing. So she decides she's going to go get help from Reed Richards. And um, she calls. Of course, the Fantastic Four are out, are out on a mission. But uh, she <laughs> she's going to go anyway. And she hails a taxi. And just she's in a hurry, man. So she just phases in. Yeah. True love is out there dying. She's got to work fast. That's right. So she gets in the cab and then we cut to. Another Claremontism, dead innocent in an alley. Yep. It's a bummer. But uh, Callisto and Mask and Sunder are there, and Mask goes and uh, gets to work on disfiguring this corpse. I wonder what they could need that for, Jerry. Yeah, it's weird. They don't really give much much explanation other to other than to say that when they're done, Pretty Kitty's own parents won't be able to tell them apart. Wonder what that means. Yeah. So then uh it cuts back to Lincoln Center. Amanda Sefton and Kurt are not enjoying the ballet. They're... They are making out. Yep. Sitting on the phone. Woo! Couple of teenagers. So all of a sudden they see a dragon made of fire, teleport off, start facing the brotherhood. Avalanche uh hits them with a tidal wave of dirt. That's not going to stop Nurk, 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 Kite Roller. Nope. <laughs> That's a mouthful. But we see Amanda Sefton step up. She's helping Nightcrawler out. Dude, I dig when she breaks out the magic stuff. Yep. That's super cool. And I like the way that Ramita draws the magic-y stuff. Like uh, um, the Nightcrawler's Inferno issue. This issue. Um, when we get to 190, 191... Uh, we're going to have that whole awesomeness that's some of my favorite stuff ever. I dig it. So they get attacked by Blob. And then all of a sudden, uh, he's, you know, he's got him by their necks. He's jumped, dropped down in between them, got him by their necks. And all of a sudden he gets a lightning bolt in the ass. The X-Men are really violating Fred Duke. Dukes? Duke. The Blob. Fuck it. The X-Men are really violating the blob in this book. Lightning bolts to the ass. There's like claws to the ass. Some Doesn't somebody punch him in the junk or something? I don't know. Right in the moose knuckle. I'm sure of it. <laughs> sure of it. But there, basically, there's a fight. It's awesome. Read it. It is. I really love the old like brotherhood against the X-Men Hell fights. You yeah. know, I, I love it when... Everybody was evenly matched before they became like super, super, superheroes, you know? Yeah. Team versus team is yeah. where it's at. Yeah. Not hero versus hero. Not hero versus omnipotent threat that when they finally defeat it, they can't be beat by any of the criminal type characters because they faced the Phoenix. And these are not some, some shitty Sinister Six either. Yeah. These guys are cutthroat powerful, know-what-they're-doing villains. They're worthy adversaries for the X-Men. I love it. And they're motivated by their hate for the X-Men, which is yep. even better. And plus they got Destiny, who can see the future. They, I mean, they legitimately feel unbeatable. Yep. Every time they show up, I'm like, 
the X-Men had that going on during the Romita run between them and Nimrod and Celine. Yeah. Like there was always somebody showing up that you were pretty sure the X-Men weren't going to be able to beat. Yeah. While all this is going on, Kitty's running through the Fantas- the Baxter building and uh, just wrecking electronics left and right by phasing through everything, including their robotic receptionist. <laughs> oh. Hey, she's got to do what she's got to do. Her she's man is a living statue right now. That's right. So then uh, Storm's had enough, and so she decides to unleash a torrential downpour, which is so much that it snuffs out Pyro's flames, and it's hard for them to stand. Kitty gets the device that she wants from the Baxter building that she needs, so she runs up to the roof, because she figures she can't make it back out the way that she came with all the uh, Fantastic Forest defenses. So she's up on the roof, She's like, man, if I just concentrate, just like when I got me and Colossus through the roof up to Storm's place so we could get down to business before she busted in the door. Yep. She's like, as long as I can concentrate. She gets startled from something behind her and drops, cuts back to the fight. We got Nightcrawler doing his usual, I'm just going to teleport behind you, dumbass, and punch you in the face. Gets Avalanche in the chokehold, teleports him in front of blob so he uses his power which is pretty awesome yes wolverine jumps up onto that mound while blob is buried underneath it and puts his claws up underneath fred's jaw you mean frank dukes yeah (laughs) like put up your dukes (laughs) oh i love this oh you didn't oh go ahead jerry just uh the blob is such a dick he's so hateable he's awesomely hateable though He's not like mastermind, like you've ruined our lives hateable. He's like just a shithead hateable. Yeah, I would just like to say to the people of Hasbro that uh, I am very disappointed in my blob action figure <laughs> because if you know Moose Knuckle at all, his body needed to be made of the Stretch Armstrong stuff. <gasps> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I should be able to stick my Nightcrawler hand in there and have it get sucked in and then slowly pushed back out. Yeah. Come on. I need to be Tom Hanks and big. So, uh, basically, Dukes is all, we were the distraction, dumbasses. <laughs> and the X-Men are like, you got played. Oh, what? <laughs> what, what, what? Back at the, back at the X-Mansion, Xavier sitting there concentrating. Sweating. She's trying to contact the X-Men. Rogue comes in. She's like, hey, man, got some hot cocoa for you. Shablam! <laughs> um, technically, it says Shazak. Okay. Shazak! But luckily... Luckily. He, he telepathically senses it coming, so he shifts a little bit. Claremontism only gets grazed. But here we see that Ramita is not truly cut out for this book because it does not crease his skull. Yeah. It creases his ribs. Right. Which is all wrong. It is. All wrong. That's so, probably why Ramita and Claremont didn't get along. First nail like, in the coffin. You, come on, dude. It's Claremontism. Kill the trees, shoot people in the face. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, Rogue busts into the room and... Nine-year-old Jerry's like, well, what? He drops a Snickers bar and he's like, this is the sexual equivalent to the greatest thing I could possibly imagine. Two rogues. Jerry sandwich. And all of a sudden you realize, it's Mystique. 
And I love this part because it's where Rogue is basically like, she has the heart to heart with her. Where she's like, bitch, this is driving me crazy. I love you. But Xavier's the only one that can help me. Like, you tried. It's not working. I've got Carol trapped in my mind. And then she's like, and the things you made me do to Dazzler and Sean, me, as I was reading this, was like, what? So I went out and bought a whole run of Dazzler. And I'm up to issue number nine. And it's been awesome. That is so cool to hear. I am genuinely like, I really like the Dazzler comic. Everybody else can kiss my ass. I dig the place that you're at right now. Like, there is almost nothing that they could throw at you from this era that you would not like. Except I know for a fact that there are two things you do not like now. Secret Wars and this annual. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there are two things. There's one thing coming up that I downright despise. That I had to delete a tweet seven times that I almost sent out where I was trying to explain that Dazzler was better than that story. Yeah. But I didn't want to have to deal with the fallout. So basically, Rogue's like, I want to be normal. Is that so much to ask? And so Mystique, she uh, shows up in a little hologram at the Lincoln Center and she's like, I won't kill Xavier if you let the Brotherhood go. This is so weird, man, because she seemed ready to follow through on all this. Yep. And the one thing she never counted on, I think, was that she would actually have a conversation with Rogue. Like, that was the unknown in the equation, and it ended up bailing the X-Men out from a really bad situation. Rogue kind of saves the team. Yeah. And Destiny is like, hey, I don't know what's going on, but something bad happened. You guys better get ready for some bad news. To the X-Men. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting, man. Like, showing she's not, she's not all the way bad. No. You know, like, there are true villains on this team. She's not one of them. Yeah. I don't think I Thank God. Because if she was completely twisted. Whoa. We'd have to to karma her, man. Yeah. We would definitely have to karma her. Yeah. Irene Adler needs to die. The end of that issue is, uh, Kitty pancaked on the concrete at the bottom of the Baxter building. Which leads us to Uncanny X-Men number 179. X-Men! So this is the same creative team as the last issue, right? And the cover features Caliban and Kitty Pride at the altar. Oh, yeah. With the Bible in front of them. They's getting married, Sean! Mazeltov. Mazeltov. So it opens up to the big day. Down in the Morlock tunnels, you see a girl getting prepared. You obviously know that it's Kitty now. This cover kind of spoiled it for it you. It does. It spoils the shit out of it. It wouldn't have if she didn't have a headband on. Right. But she does, so you know that's got to be Kitty. Yeah. But look, dude, look how happy Caliban looks on that cover. I know. He's pumped up. He looks like he's about to cry. He's so yeah. happy. So then you see the Morlocks lift Kitty up, and she is in... The nastiest wedding dress, all torn to shreds, all Morlocky. You think this is um, Callisto's leftovers from when she tried to marry Angel? Probably. <laughs> and I love the title to this issue. What happened to Kitty? Right. Is scrawled like on the wall in graffiti behind her, almost. Oh. Artist John Romita Jr. and Dan Green, which is probably why it looks a little bit better than the last issue. Yes, this is, to me, this is Romita Jr. X-Men, when yeah. Dan Green is inking him. 
Uh, and I prefer this. Steve Raker has told us in no uncertain terms. He thinks it's the worst possible match ever. He hates these issues. I love them. And I also, the one, my biggest complaint always has been that I don't dig the way that he draws rogue. Yeah. But everything else about these issues, I still dig. So, uh, we see Kitty is in a wedding dress, a, a very revealing wedding dress for a 14 year old. Um, I'm with Steve, man. She does not look 14. No. Um, but this, she should not be in an outfit like that at that age. Nope. That is inappropriate. 10 year old Jerry was high fiving one year old Sean. Right. But in the, at the same time, Storm and Wolverine and Rogue are at the county morgue at Bellevue Hospital looking at the corpse of Kitty Pride. What? Yep. And uh this is Ramita Logan. Yeah. This is the um the like the bomber fl- jacket with the fur collar. Yeah, it's like the hat. the leather coat with the whatever that fur line the white fur liner and the cowboy hat with the feather on the front. Fucking warm ass coat, man. And this is this is Wolverine that looks like he's seen some shit. Yeah, I love this Wolverine. So they convince the uh, the morgue tech to leave, and Logan's like, "That ain't Kitty. Right face, right outfit, ain't the right smell, and the nose knows." That's right. I love when he knows stuff. Yep. And Storm does not take well to that news. She, she I does. mean, she's obviously relieved, but she's like. Well, that means somebody's fucking with us. Right. And the first thing you need to know is you do not fuck with the X-Men. Right. I'd especially be pretty pissed off because this is a eerily, like, when something like that happens, I don't think after what they've already been through, would my head immediately go to, oh, mask from the Morlocks. My head would be like, all right, I'm finding Jason Weingart, and I'm going to kill him for real this time. It is interesting an issue we're going to discuss in the future mentions that they captured him. Yeah. I don't know what the hell that means. It's never laid out what exactly happens to him, to my recollection. Right. If anybody out there remembers what they do with him, if it's mentioned specifically, I want to know. Anyway, uh, so Nightcrawler and his expertise as a medical tech is holding a stethoscope up to Frozen Colossus's body, which they've now moved back to the X-Mansion. And he says, well, I can't find a heartbeat, but who knows if he ever has one anyway. Right. And Professor X is mind-blasted again. And, uh, and then super creepy, awesome wedding scene. Yeah. Did I, did I skip anything important? I don't think so. Um, Kitty is at this point super jazzed to be at this wedding because it's exactly what she dreamed of, which is, uh, everybody dressed as M. Bison from Street Fighter (laughs) 2. And she's, uh, walking up to the altar, um, awaiting the arrival of her betrothed, the dashing, handsome, heroic prince. Her face flushed with excitement, eyes alight with joy. She looks up to behold the man who's won her heart, only to have words of greeting gag in her throat as the last vestiges of a Morlock mind spell drop away. And you just see a close-up of Caliban's sneering face. 
and the reverie is over, man. She realizes what's going on and she's like, ah! but the fact like gagging in her throat, like she is so thoroughly disgusted. It's the same reaction she had to Nightcrawler. Like she just does things that are different. Yeah. Kitty reacts poorly to. She does. And I feel again, like this just gives me more empathy for Caliban. Yeah. He's in a rough spot. I love that dude, man. And, and, uh, he's got, he's lived in a sewer by himself. So of course he's all twisted, but he's got a kind heart and she just, abjectly rejects him. Well, she's also a 14-year-old girl. Like, Yes. <laughs> right. But I understand. I don't know. I feel bad for Caliban as I read this. Right. No, I understand. I also understand Kitty's in a bad spot. Plus, because I don't think that Caliban is really doing any of this on purpose. It's all Callisto, who comes up and basically announces to Kitty, don't you remember the promise you made? Like... And I just feel bad for Kitty in that scene. Don't you feel bad being such an a-hole right? that you made this promise yeah. and you just backed out on it? And so she agrees. Yeah. With one of- condition. I already made the promise, and now I agree to the promise, but you got to give me one more thing. Got to fix Colossus. You have to fix Colossus. So they do. Yep. That's not a spoiler, right? They agree. You come back. We'll fix him, and then you come back, and you live with Caliban forever. Before that happens... Kitty has a panic attack, yeah. tries to escape, and we're introduced to one of the most adorable characters in the X-Men's universe, yep. Leech. She's running away, and uh, she trips and falls. God, I love this, man. Like, she falls face first into the sewer water, and, um, you know, she's trying to figure out what she's going to do. And this little green guy... You guys all know what Leech looks like. Comes wandering out of the shadows, and he just says to her, lost, lonely, scared. And you don't know, is he talking about her or is he talking about right. him? I love it. Yeah, I do love Leech. And he reaches out his hand, and he takes her hand, and he leads her back. He's, I mean, there's nothing menacing about this dude other than the fact that he's kind of creepy looking. But, um, you know, he's just a short little green guy. I don't know. He's like Yoda. Right. But he leads her right back to the Morlocks. Yeah. And Callisto's a dick to him. And she reveals that he's a child, right? Yes. So um Mass kind of teaches her a lesson. Yeah, Mass starts messing with her face, turning her to look like Mask, then to like Callisto, then to Caliban, then to Storm, then no face whatsoever. And Kitty freaks out, screams, I'm a human being, like the elephant man. And then here's where we find out that Mask is the meanest of, and this is always going to be true. He's the meanest of the uh, Morlocks. He just completely disfigures her face. Yeah. Callisto has to convince him to put it back. So then the wedding starts. And the X-Men show up to save the day. Callisto's like, does anybody object? And Storm's like, I do, motherfucker. (laughs) But according to the war balloons, uh, she must have muttered the last part of that. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that was. And then what I like here, too, is that she just, like, Storm's not even playing in this time. You know, it's not like, oh, let's do a little knife fight. She's like, nope, just going to blast you with some fucking lightning. And so she goes for that. But Leech jumps on her, so she falls to the ground, can't fly. Leech, I guess, can kind of crawl on walls like Nightcrawler or Spider-Man. Yeah. He kind of drops from the ceiling on her. 
so intriguing. I like this guy. Yeah. But knocks her power out. And one of the things that I love the most about him is he knocks everyone's power out. And then Wolverine's like, hey, little guy, these ain't my mutant power. And he pops his claws. What? You know why? Because bionic housings in his wrist put there by Weapon X. Not born with him. Not bone. Bionic. <laughs> we must have misread it, though, because clearly they've been bone all along. Yeah, clearly. Makes perfect sense. Whatever. Totally interesting. Whatever. That ne- those issues never happened. So then, despite the fact that we talked about them on this show, they never happened. That's why we shouldn't have jumped around, man. We went right to the worst. Thanks a lot, Don. Don Cardenas. So Wolverine's like, or Kitty's like, hey, everybody, stop it. They're gonna help us save Colossus. I've agreed to marry Caliban. That's the end of it. So, uh, Rogue, when they get back to the mansion, she uses her power. To absorb some of the stuff that's going on with Colossus. He changes to his human form and the Morlock healer heals him. So then I see I dig that, man. And this is what's missing from a lot of modern comics these days, the superhero books, is that novel use of their powers. Like Claremont must have been sitting around like, what's a cool new power combination nobody's done before? That's like that was as a kid what was Fun about superhero books. And I mean, I dig the melodrama. I dig all the stuff that, that Hickman's doing with plot and all the stuff that Bendis is doing with characterization. Like I, I like all that too, but I'd like to see more of this kind of stuff, more of mystique luring Cyclops into this trap that focuses Cyclops's beam to kill Colossus. Like I want more of that. Even think about the powers that you're introduced to. You know? Yeah. Gold balls. Gold ball, gold nuts. So then, uh, These gold nuts. Kitty's talking to Eliana, and she hands her two letters. And she's like, I want you to give this one to my parents and this one to Peter. It explains why I'm doing what I'm doing. Breaks my heart when this happens. And then she just walks down the subway. She hugs Eliana goodbye, and she's like, it isn't fair, but this is what I have to do. She walks down the... Um, subway platform and, and it's, wanna... she's like basically acknowledged she's never yeah. coming out of that subway again yeah this she is says it. you're my best friend i miss you already i'll always remember you like it's that final that's fucked up like they could go visit her anytime man but she is like surrendered to the reality that her life is over yeah and so caliban is being very sweet towards her and he says that she looks sad. And she's like, you look like you missed the sun. And she's like, I do. That's my world. And he starts to say that he um, he oh. understands what he didn't before. And that yeah. uh, her place is in the sun while his is in the shadow. And uh, he loves her, but to force her by his side would be wrong. And uh, he asks her if she loves him. And she says no. And he says, Caliban's love is so strong. It makes him so crazy. He thinks he must let you leave in hopes that someday you will return of your own true free will. And he gives her a, a rose and he says, I, uh, when you look at this, remember me kindly, not as a Morlock monster, but as a prince. I love Caliban. Yeah, man. Yeah. This is, it's, it's like Beauty and the Beast if Beauty and the Beast was real. 
the beast doesn't get the pretty girl. Right. <laughs> oh, That's <scary>. reality. <laughs> uh, but show me on the doll where the pretty girls hurt you, Jerry. <sighs> I realize on the way over here, I was thinking about how much I love Colossus uh-huh. and how much this show has made me love Ileana. And yeah. I started thinking about the fact that, like, when I was a kid and I first got into the X-Men, like, Gambit was my favorite because of the cartoon, and I thought he was like, the cool guy. So, like, the kid in me, like, was like, oh, I want to be the cool guy, you know? Naturally. And uh, as I got older, it switched to Nightcrawler because I think at that stage in my life, like, she was always full of life, and he had, like, a good version of faith, not a bad version of faith. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was the things that I wanted to find in my personality as I grew, like, as a human. And uh, and now I look at Colossus, and it's, like, the bond that he has with Ileana. I think that, that those two could quite possibly be, like, the most tragic characters in all of comics. Mm-hmm. Because, like, their bond is this, like, loyalty and, like, I look at Colossus, and it's, like, it's this, just this guy who agreed to go to Xavier's and 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 be what he thinks that everyone thinks that he should be mm-hmm. out of this, like, honor. But really, he's just, like, a painter and a guy that wants to, like, find beauty and emotion in everything. And he's thrust into this place that, like, his whole family dies. Like, the woman that he loves is ripped from him at one point like his sister comes here and and Ileana's tragic in that way where it's like she wants to follow him because she like admires him it's like the most perfect little like (laughs) brother and sister relationship where she's just Mm -hmm. in awe of him and she gets fucking sucked into hell and like manages to come out of that but completely changed like sticks by him I just then when she gets de-aged and she dies and he's completely lost and so like he follows Magneto and it's like you hate it because you love this guy but you as I get older like I get it I know why he was so low at that point to be able to go this he was totally broken and then for him to come back and like kill himself to cure the legacy virus like it ain't gonna bring her back but like i want to make sure that no one else ever feels this way that i felt about my sister fuck yeah like anybody that like gives you like the comics fuck them because the story of peter rasputin is one of the fucking most beautiful stories i have ever had the pleasure of reading in my entire life (laughs) Let's do this. <laughs> We're doing it. It's happening already. There's a moment coming up in our next episode when we talk, whenever we talk about Uncanny X-Men number 180 that I think is one of the best Colossus moments of all time. And shows how much he like, you just, you'd look at, you'd walk down the street and you'd look at Colossus and you'd be like, that guy's probably pretty sure of himself. Like, you know, good looking, fucking strong, you know, but like the self doubt, like the crippling self doubt in that dude. But the fact that he keeps on going, mm-hmm. best X-Man ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like him a lot. I'm going to cry. I know. I'm not going to cry. 
I needed two. Five. I needed two beer, Jerry. At that, oh, I'm not gonna cry about anything you say, Sean. Not anymore. I've been broken of that behavior. I'm sorry. So, unbeknownst to all of you, we've taken a 24-hour break. We have. Sean had some business to attend to, and uh, but now we're refreshed. Yep. And uh, we're back. I, I had a night to get all deep thought on Colossus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, a... you weren't ready to go there yet. I know. Oh. The thing that has been most rewarding about this whole experience has been watching you become a fan of Ileana. And, I mean, you were already a, a Bobby fan and... And a oh, Sam fan. But it's totally but, different now. Yeah. I dig it. It's like a, like a better, I have a better understanding of all of it. Like doing this in order, I don't think people understand how good everything was at this time. How great it was, like, to have, you know, just a few people working on the books and, like, you know, you would just mm-hmm. tell that there is, like, honest to God, genuine love, like, dripping off these pages it's ridiculous hell yeah jerry can tell i'm totally halloween party (laughs) (laughs) well now i can my five minute of pouring my heart out about colossus didn't give you any hints no I cried once when talking about the Kitty and Peter relationship in front of Ashley. <laughs> I was trying to explain it to her, and I was like, you don't understand. And you can never understand. She was trapped in a bullet in space. He just came back from the dead. You know, if you start talking about it and we get emotional, this recording is not going to work. <laughs> We'll have to record it three times, just like the last time we talked about it. Oh, that sucked. Yeah. That gifted episode, like, pouring our hearts out and then finding out it didn't record and doing it again (laughs) and finding out it didn't work again. (laughs) We don't talk about it anymore. Oh, my God. If we survive that, we can survive anything, Sean. So, uh, now that we've talked some Uncanny X-Men, let's switch gears a little bit and head on over to the Younglings, the New Mutants, if you will, which, I don't know, have I ever mentioned this on the show before, that it's still weird to me that this team, this non-team, never has a team name other than the New Mutants. That's not a team name. That's true. It's so weird to me that they were never given a name until they were X-Force. Yeah. That is crazy. I mean, I never thought of that as a kid. It never bothered me, but now it well, constantly they were the bothers me. Well, because you were just waiting for them to be X-Men. It's probably only yeah. a thing now because it never happened. But, like, okay, Alpha Flight. Okay. Alpha Flight had a New Mutants team. They were called Beta Flight. Really? Yeah. That's probably why they didn't call the New Mutants anything, because they were like, that sucks. Let's not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough. Listen. The X babies works for me. It's all minimalist here. Stan was like, X-Men, 
extra gene. How many, I mean, come on, you've heard that Stan story a million times. So I'm sure they were like, what worked for Stan will work for us. They're the new mutants. Don't ask any questions, you dumb kid. Yeah. Yeah, you big dummy. All right, well, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, New Mutants, number 14. But before we do, previously on New Mutants. Previously on X-Men. We do need an Allen drop for this. Previously on the New Mutants, the team went to Brazil. They had adventures and they came back with a new member. Amara, also known as Magma, with the power to control the Earth's molten core or something. Yeah. And in this issue, number 14, we are going to explore their next new member and uh, get a recap of everything that's happened to her. Why is it that, like, what you just said, because we're here and the microphones are on, immediately my head goes like, I don't normally think of this many sex jokes. Like, it doesn't always go to sex jokes. But the second yeah. you're like, we get to explore their newest member. I'm yeah. like, Jesus, Jerry, it's, calm down. Your eyes just bulged out of your head like, oh. This is why I'm so disappointed that I missed that one a few episodes back. Oh, yeah. I, Something about Blanched and Cyclops full in the face. Colossus, yeah. I, I took care of it on the Tumblr okay, for good. anyone that wants to know what we're talking about. Um there is a, a nice photo of the original art for the page where Cyclops unloads on Colossus' yeah, face. A... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got that out of our systems? Yes, there will be no unloading on faces in this issue. They're children, for God's sake. Children. So, issue 14, entitled, Do You Believe in Magic? Written by Chris Claremont with pencils by Sal Buscema and inks, as always, by Tom Mandrake. Glynis Ween was the colorist and Tom Warzakowski the letterer. Louise Jones is your editor and Jim Shooter is your boss. Shooter! Sean is, has made a new enemy oh, after oh God, reading yeah. Secret Wars. <laughs> I'll save it for the Secret Wars episode, but holy shit. That guy's on my list. Everybody... It's a few weeks off, but I am so excited for the Secret Wars episode. I am not. I can't wait to talk about this with two people that have never read it prior to this. It's going to be great. That's all I'm going to say. little teaser for you. So uh, let's get back to this serious heavy stuff. Bring you back to... There was was an issue where... (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. Sorry. There'll be plenty of time. Save it for that episode. Let's get back to your uh, Peter Rasputin place. Yeah, okay. Because we're going to talk about his sweet little sister. Yeah. Oh, my God. The best. Who, who's not so sweet and not so little anymore, through no fault of her own. For those of you that have not listened to episode 20 of Great Expectations, now would be a time to stop. But remember to come back. But stop. Go listen to episode 20, where we talk about the Magic Miniseries, which is being published concurrently with this issue. Yes. This... Issue came out the same month as issue three of the miniseries. And there's a crossover that will take place between the two issues that's so cool. I mean, completely superfluous. But uh, 
it's cool because you know having read these months apart now it transported me back to that last reread of magic and i dug that because i love that miniseries he does so uh, we open with a splash page of Ilyana's hand holding her um, her pendant with the pentagram in it with three bloodstones formed from her own soul that were deposited there oh by Belasco. God, she gives up her soul for fuck's sakes. She doesn't give it up. It's All torn right, away but from her. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Her brother commits suicide. Spoilers. And everybody is creeped out by her. You know, like they think she's the boogeyman, you know, like there's something wrong with that chick over there. Always. It's still today. She's so weird. Yeah. Nobody trusts her because I mean, a lot of shit happens between now and then. Right. And, and it, they, it gets to a point where maybe she deserves some of the doubt, but, but at this point, everything that's happened is she's a victim. And, um, and yeah, so a good chunk of her soul has been torn away. At some point, the last two of these stones will be filled by Belasco. I'm sorry, by Balsacco. And, uh, and it will open a gateway to limbo that will allow him to take over the world. I think that's the idea, right? Spoilers, man. Um, so yeah, getting back to this, um, she's reflecting on her experience. And the point I was trying to make is that um, she grew up in such a completely different environment in Limbo that she's com- completely incapable of relating to anyone here, with the exception of Kitty. Because Kitty's the only one that trusts her, because she knew her as a little girl. Right. I mean, um, from the X-Men's perspective, Ilyana was gone for the blink of an eye. Like a, a moment, and then they pull her back, and she went from being seven years old to... 14 just that fast and um so for kitty this was peter's darling little sister that she loved she had a tight bond with this kid like as a big sister little sister kind of thing she comes back and she's completely changed but you know kitty's just concerned with how do i make everything okay for this kid she seems like she's been through something really terrible and they become best friends out of that for the new mutants this chick is creepy you know, it's a completely different dynamic yeah. for them. Uh, but this is the issue where they start to form that bond with her, that she's a teammate and somebody that they like and not just the creepy kid that's looking at him weird from across the room. Right. But she's re- reflecting on everything she's been through in these opening pages and um, and and how horrible her time was. And she says she'd give anything to be where she was a year ago in the real world when she was seven. Um, And she said, if only I had a soul to give. So that's just a reminder of the price she's paid for everything that's happened to her. Um, And I think it's cool that the way she's drawn here by Busima Mandrake is exactly how she looked in the miniseries. She's not drawn the way she was rendered in the X-Men book. This is more like the magic miniseries. So, I mean, that I connect with that. Right. You know? Editor's note, I left out of the very important fact that the similarity between the art style here and the art style in the magic miniseries is that both were drawn 
by Sal Buscema. And in fact, the Magic miniseries is a flashback that takes place during these opening pages of New Mutants number 14. And it's drawn in an identical style. And the page layout is only slightly different. It's virtually the same. The first page of issue one of the Magic miniseries is virtually the same as page three of New Mutants number 14. And then the final page is almost identical to the next page in New Mutants number 14. Very cool storytelling. Love it. Um, I don't know, Sean, you talk. I'm tired. Oh, you you got a a good moment coming up with the palm tree. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, It starts snowing, so everybody, of course, typical X-Men fashion, runs out into the yard. They're hanging out. Sam's trying to show off for Amara. That doesn't sound like Sam. obviously looks awesome. What was my... Oh, she's she's uh, Amara's bumming, yeah, because she feels out of place. Um, she decided in the last issue that she had been planning to that it wasn't working out, and she was going to go back home to Nova Roma, but decided to stay. Despite that, she's still kind of feeling out of place here. And Danny decides she'll make her feel better by reaching into her mind and like pulling Professor out Professor Xavier. Right, she's learning from the best. Yeah. So what does she say? I'll touch her mind very gently with mine. <laughs> Just the tip. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. I misread it. And uh, so she conjures an image of a palm tree, yep. which is supposed to be soothing. And it is very soothing. <laughs> but uh, Amara's like, oh, if you only knew what happened under this tree. And Danny's like, okay, what? And Amara says, ask Roberto. And then Danny says, I think I'll kill him first. (laughs) Danny has developed a little bit of a crush on the kid. Uh, It's important to remember, Bobby is the youngest kid on this team. Like, he's he's a horny little 13-year-old. I mean... I can't imagine anybody that would be more irritating to hang around with, <laughs> but but it's he he's working his magic. He's got what all the pro hustlers have, and he's it's that I'll ignore you game. Yeah, and it's working on Danny. If he had thrown himself at her, it would have turned her off immediately. I'm sure, but he's doing the opposite, and uh, it's making her crazy for him. Here we have another classic Professor Xavier moment where he's trying really hard to invade Ileana's mind. <laughs> but he's he like, can't. Son of a bitch, I can't break down those barriers. What's she got going on in there? She hasn't opened up about a personal experience that happened to her. I think I should poke around in there. And how oh, fucking yeah. creepy, man. Yeah. Yeah, in addition to mind raping them all, the dude is wheeled right up to the window. <laughs> And he's like blanket over his crotch. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting in his little chair with a blanket over his crotch, and he's fogging up the windows. He's he's two inches away from the window, and he's like, "Why can't I penetrate her mind?" <laughs> She's completely impenetrable. Now the best is like when you turn the page from creep ass Xavier, <laughs> heavy breathing, staring out the window. He just he pulls up his his little tweed <laughs> professor jacket and goes. 
fucking cleaning off the fog. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the new, the the new mutants are out there having their little snowball fight, and they can feel something creepy staring at them. So one by one, this is what's happening between these panels, Jerry. They slowly turn around and look at the fucking Bustima drawing of Sam. <laughs> He's got the what's that pervert looking at? <laughs> so they all notice. And Amara's response is basically, oh, he's just real lonely because his girl left. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, well, we figured that part out. She's like, take that. That's that's the last time you enter my mind and pick out my bedroom. That's right. That is right. Vengeance is hers. I just, I just told all your students that you're getting cuckolded by Cyclops' <laughs> pirate fucking dad. <laughs> You get no respect from now on, Charles. Oh, man. He's the Mr. Belding of the Xavier Institute now. Um, so getting back to the away from the creepy sex talk and back into the wouldn't it be awesome to grow up in a in a school like this yes. with all of our pals and stuff? Um, Danny think- is like, let's make him feel better by throwing him a party, a surprise party. We'll all get into the car and we'll go into town and we'll buy all the fixings for the party after dance class and it'll be great. So that's the plan. And they take off to do that. And there's a creepy shadow with a very familiar silhouette in the background that's saying, there's the girl, he says, not specifically. And he said, there's too many people around. But he does give him Sim will bide his time. Oh, snap. Sim, that can only mean one thing. Sim? It's a mystery for about two seconds. Yeah. He's here for Ileana. Uh, Which sucks, because I don't want her to go back to Limbo. Right. And um, he's mean. He killed all the X-Men. For those of you that haven't read the Magic miniseries, or Uncanny X-Men number 160, one of my favorite issues of all time, he killed the entire team from an alternate reality. Which shows how badass he is. Yeah, if they in Secret Wars decide to do a Battle World Magic mini series, there aren't going to be any characters left because everyone's dead. It's true. That's how badass Sim is. Hmm. So they pile into Stevie Hunter's car. She's down for a party. Right. Anytime. And they roll into the mall. First time they've seen the mall in a while. It's still being rebuilt from their battle with the Sentinels in issue two. And before they get there, they do run into Doug Ramsey. Who says, oh, he, right. he asks, when when all the kids are getting into the car, he's like, hey, have any of you guys, who's seen Kitty? And they were like, oh, I haven't seen her, and want us to take a message? And he was like, nah, I'll catch up with her later, I got something important to tell her. Oh. And it's pretty important, and we'll get to it later. Oh, yeah. So now they're at the mall. Now they're at the mall, they run into... Um... I love the fact that when they're driving up to the mall, they're like, geez, sure it's taking them a long time to fix this place up since we totally smashed it when we were fighting Sentinels. Yeah. We only completely trashed it. Why is it taking them so long? Yeah. Xavier would have rebuilt the, the mansion three times by now. Yes. Warren Worthington not funding this mall? <laughs> He's not. Uh, so while they're shopping for Professor X, they've left him alone in the mansion and Sim decides uh, he wants a piece of that and he attacks poor Professor X and Professor X tries to mind blast him but that shit does not seem to work on a demon nope and he Professor X gets backhanded across the room 
and it looks like he might be in some trouble. The New Mutants return to the mansion, and um, I don't know. I still don't understand why they're trying to have a surprise party on a telepath who's constantly mind raping them. Hey, man. It's the thought that counts? Yes. Comics? Yeah. Okay, comics. I'm down. The answer is always comics. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Ilyana volunteers to go in first because he can't read her mind. So the rest of them should stand far away. She'll make sure the coast is clear. Right. And then they can sneak all the shit in. Um, but it's all too quiet in there. And Sim comes out from behind a corner, nabs her on the arm. She panics. And here is where we get our awesome crossover with magic number three. Yep. Because what she does is she creates one of her stepping discs, a teleportation disc that she can form that teleports people within it across time and space through the dimension of limbo. So you're standing in one place, you go to limbo and you come out somewhere else and somewhere else if she chooses. So she teleports Stevie Hunter's car, Stevie Hunter and the entire team into limbo where they see a seven-year-old Ilyana Rasputin. And it's the exact dialogue from the crossover in, in Magic Number Three, like it's so awesome that they did this. You know what, though, as I'm reading it this time, it's really sad to me because if they had the presence of mind, one of them could have reached out and saved her from like four years of torment. But that's another reason why it's like this is so tragic. It's what makes it, you know. Yeah, Sam would have just dropped the goddamn groceries. <laughs> Damn it, Sam. <laughs> We're trying to show off your muscles to Amara, you son of a bitch. Uh, but that aside, Ileana... Stevie, Stevie Hunter was like, I could have grabbed you, Ileana, but my knees. My knees. <laughs> you guys don't understand. I was a dancer. She teleports them all, including the car, into the living room, library, whatever you want to call it, of the mansion. And the New Mutants are going to take on Sim, which is a terrible idea. Yeah. And not only are they going to take him on, they're going to take him on one at a time, like any good band of bad guys in a in an action movie. Run at the hero one at a time. Yeah. I guess Sim's the hero in this story. And they they all give him their best Sunday punch, but that doesn't really do much to Sim. And he deals each of them a nasty blow. Um, but it's Danny who gets the best of him by conjuring an image of Belasco. Sim's worst fear. And it is enough to spook the shit out of Sim momentarily. And while that's happening, Stevie grabs Ilyana and runs for the basement. But you'll notice that the image of Belasco turns into Dark Child? Yes, right? But not the Dark Child that we're used to seeing, but it's it's more like a, a Red Devil yeah. version of Ilyana. Pretty crazy looking. But how would Sim know and how would Danny know that that's coming? Mm. Ah. Stevie takes, grabs Ileana, runs off, and uh, magma erupts a volcano through the floor of the library, which <laughs> dumps molten lava onto Sim. <laughs> and, and this is straight out of Scooby-Doo, man. She's standing there like, yeah, got him encased in rock. And there's a little tap on her shoulder. And you can just see her, like, turn her head like... And there's Sim standing there, like, drooling. 
I'm going to eat you. So Stevie takes the elevator down to the basement. And as she's about to get out, Sim has started pulling the elevator back up by the cable. And she's forced to dive Indiana Jones style out just in the nick of time. Uh Uh-oh, she's landed awkwardly, Sean. Yep. But she does her best to run anyway. And then, oh, her knee gave out again. (laughs) Those damn knees, man. You'll miss them when they're gone. Yeah, no shit. I should probably not be making too much fun. (laughs) It's only a matter of time. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get you bionic ones. Yeah. Promise to call me Stevie Hunter when my knees go. Dude, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be reminding you all the time how I used to do a podcast. You don't understand. I used to do a podcast. Ones of people listen to me. I'm I'm just waiting for your your wheelchair blanket draped (laughs) window (laughs) shenanigans. Come by this weekend. Jerry, why did you move in front of the high school women's volleyball (laughs) course? No reason. This window's dirty. I'm just going to polish it off. So, uh, Stevie's in trouble, but Ilyana snaps out of it, wakes up from her stupor from falling or whatever, and and she unleashes some badass magic. She does. She lives up to the name. And this, I didn't remember this, and, and it was always my impression that she wasn't able to do magic on Earth. Like, I thought it was something that she could only do in Limbo. Okay. Um, and maybe it becomes that. I don't know, but at this point, she can do magic. And... um she she kind of says she would have ripped Sim's face off with magic right in the beginning if she wasn't so spooked by seeing him. It was like he just completely caught her off guard. Right. And uh, and maybe that's true, and maybe it's just her trying to make herself feel better for getting, getting <laughs> completely <drop> owned. <laughs> but um, uh, the magic isn't really stopping him, and she lures him into a corner and then unleashes her soul sword which is the best part of her uh, trio of powers yeah. with uh, teleportation and magic and the soul sword. It's a manifestation of her own own soul and powers, and it will sl- pretty much slay any magical being, um, including Sim. And she smited him with it once already, and somehow he's made it back. So uh, he... He submits to her when she holds the sword up to his throat, and um, and she he swears fealty to her, felty, whatever whatever that word is. She, he swears allegiance to her, and um, and she makes him renounce Belasco, and uh, sends him back to limbo. What a badass! She is a badass, man. This is. Ileana's equivalent of facing down the Nagare demon in the mansion. I'd be scared shitless of a fucking big giant demon. It is just like that. It's it's kind of the same story. I mean, except this time there's people there to help, well, I, yeah, but, but they're no help at all. They might as well not have been there. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that she like outwits him in the end, and yeah, you know, doesn't and only destroys mind. one room instead right? of yeah. completely destroying the entire mansion. Oh. But this room's destroyed. It is. The X-Men return home, and um, they've... uh, What a weird-looking group of X-Men, the way they're drawn in this book. Yeah. They're hardly recognizable. Um, But 
you they walk in and through the front door and they see a volcano and a car in the room and a bunch of decorations. Forgot to mention, Sean, this isn't just a party for Professor X because it's also Ileana's birthday. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, she mentioned that in the mall. She uh, didn't, she didn't bring it up. Yeah, she didn't. Danny was like, "Hey, isn't it your birthday today?" So it was. It turns out to be a double surprise party. Yeah. And um, to celebrate, um, I I really liked that uh, the ending to this. I thought it was sweet because Professor X kind of acknowledges the trouble that she's been in and all that she's been through, and he's like, "If you ever need to talk, I'm always here." I'm going to know about it anyway because I'm reading your mind. But right. feel free to come to me. Don't feel like you have to live with this by yourself like I'm here. So um, he says, in the meantime, would you do me the honor of sharing the first dance? Waltz, he says. but And he stands up out of his chair and everybody's like, what? And I thought this was weird because he had shown that he could walk before. It was just very painful. Yeah. But, did, like, did he get to the point where he couldn't do it at all anymore? Maybe he'd given up. Maybe it was like, ah, it hurts too much. Yeah. He was, like, taking a cue from Stevie Hunter. <laughs> you don't understand. I used to dress like Indiana Jones. I was an adventurer. Yeah. You don't understand. Indiana Jones or a postman in the summer? <laughs> yes. Yes. So Ileana is so happy for him. Your legs are fully recovered. You can walk. And he tells her, see, child, there's hope for all of us. He's talking about her, Sean. Right? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And then right at the end of that page, oh my God. there's just a little text box that says, he knows. Like, Professor X gets me. Yeah. So now that's two. Amara's had the same experience at the end of the last issue. He's bought them heart and soul forever. When you flip the page, we get the reverse Professor Xavier. <laughs> because now you've got a shot of Doug creepily on the outside of the window looking in on the party. Like, oh, if only my mutant power didn't suck so much balls, I'd be invited in <laughs> instead of staying out here. Sean's just joking, folks. At this point, he has no idea he he's doesn't, a mutant. He doesn't know he's a mutant. I don't know he's a mutant because I've never read New Mutants. Right. I just assume. With, what with the title and all. Right. Right. He is new. Yeah, he's super excited. He's, he's, he screams through the... He's every asshole that my parents hated that would pound on our back door while we were <laughs> eating dinner. Because we had like a big like <laughs> bay window in the back of the house. Uh-huh. And they just bang on it. They end there! <laughs> Can I have some mashed potatoes? Can Sean come out? That's awesome. But he has news for Kitty. He does. He's been offered a full scholarship to a new school yeah. in Massachusetts. That old bitch academy. And the look on Kitty's face, he invites her to come along he because does. he trusts her judgment because she was a former student there. And all of a sudden, Kitty's like, wait a minute, two plus two does equal four. Oh my God, he's talking about the Massachusetts Academy. And she says, oh, Doug, no. That's run by the X-Men's deadliest enemies. She's thinking that. Thought bubble. Yeah. Their deadliest enemy, the Hellfire Club. But how can I tell him? What am I going to do? Sorry, folks. You're going to have to wait until our next episode to find out in 
Uncanny X-Men number 180, Scaredy Cat. And the next page is an ad for Secret Wars. Look at that cover, man. That's a Mike Zek cover. That's sweet. Do you, Tell me honestly, do you dig the Wolverine in that no. issue one cover? No? Sorry. Dead to me. Why? I like it. Huh? Did you ever read the... Looks like he's made of rubber. Aww. You're made of rubber. <laughs> Did you ever read that um, Zek annual, uh, Captain America? I think it, I don't remember what number it was, where he fights Wolverine. On the cover, it's Wolverine clawing his shield. No. It's a classic. What? Yeah, it's great, man. It was like the constant discussion on the bus was, could Wolverine cut through Captain America's oh, shield? Awesome. And then they had the issue where they're like, you're going to find out. Shit. I'm not going to tell you. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, he did. Captain America never had the shield again. Nope, can't be that one. That can't be the answer. Alright, folks. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. But before we let you go, we want to remind you that you should look for us on Twitter. At GXPod. Find our Facebook group. That's pretty cool. It Dan Pua loves to put cool shit on there he for does. us. Uh, what else? We've got a great Tumblr. You can find that at greatx-pectations.com. Check out the rest of the Earth 2 network. There's some great shows on there. You've got the Earth 2 podcast, which is the mothership of the network. They talk about mostly indie crap that we don't care about. But we hear there are people that like that stuff, whatever. Uh, you've got the comic book Bears. They talk about bears. You know the kind. Wink and comic books. Black bears? Sometimes. <laughs> uh, we've got the boob tube where they talk about TV and movies. Oh, it's entertaining. Right. The uh, they, they mention boobs, boobs. sometimes. Right. So, you know, there's something there for me. Yeah. I'd like to visit that one every once in a while. And then you've got the womb mates. The twins, they talk about all kinds of shit, Yeah, I'm man. noticing a theme here. Yeah. Twins. Sexual bears. Wombs. Mm-hmm. Boobs. Mm-hmm. This was a clean show until we fell in with these guys. Yeah. We had to live up to the, the criteria and standards set by the network. Yeah. And those are all the shows on the network until everybody else gets their act together. I'm not naming any names and puts out an episode more than once a year. But check them out. You can find them, as always, at earth2network.podbean.com. And, of course, you can find us there. But you can always find us at greatexpectations.libsyn.com. Lawrence is going to be so mad at you. I, I, I didn't say anything about Lawrence. But seriously, folks, we're glad you listened. And we will see you again in one week. Ah, oh, fuck that. <laughs> Too much stress? <laughs> We lasted two weeks. <laughs> we might see you in a week. Until then. Bye. Goodbye.
Have you run into anything where behind the scenes stuff that we've talked about yet where you were like, I wish I hadn't known that? Um, no, it, not anything that's been brought up in the show, but I have to admit that like knowing social media is the thing that that's changing stuff. That's the part that bums me out. So, so more new stuff, like seeing as the new stuff's coming out and the creators are talking about it. I just it. got a text from Mullins that said, what X-Men story made Jerry cry? And I so badly just want to type all, all of, of them. them. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could deny it. I wish I could. Man. No, it's... The, the thing is, is that, like, I don't know, my selective continuity or whatever that I always choose to like live it's I don't know how fans do it now I don't know how anyone can possibly get as invested in comics as I think that we were when we were kids Mm -hmm. because of social media the reaction is so fucking instantaneous of like loved it or hated it and it's so angry like, even, like, take a look at, like, the... I get it. I don't want to go political here with the fucking Brian Williams thing. But, like, look at the hate <laughs> that's being spewed at that guy. Yeah. Like, we just don't fucking stop. Mm-hmm. We just hammer people until they're done. Like... Yeah. <clears throat> and so I was... I don't know. Like, book comes out today, and there's already people. Fuck this. You know? Like, end of Spider-Verse. People either love it or they hate it. and I, And I kind of liked... Like, I wish that if I had a time machine, I wish that I could just, me and you, go back in time. and we Like, I almost wish that we could record this show as nine-year-olds. Oh, man. Just, We'd be so hilarious. We sit on the floor, we read our comics, <laughs> and then we set up the microphones and we go. Yeah. Like, it should just be a little tiny radio show. I'm doing that with Chloe. Yes. I, we, she's done one, but I got to get on a regular schedule yeah. with her. So I so I don't think any like the behind the scenes stuff like changes the way that I view the stories. My views of the stuff that I grew up with has changed because when you're a kid, like, you know, everybody, every my favorite song in the entire world is "Stars" by Hum, and it's because it 
melted my face off when I was 12 years old. You know, like I heard it and it was, it was the 4th of July. I was going to the fireworks with my friend. It was summer vacation. I was reading X-Men comics. Like it was the perfect storm, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it's the same thing with the first comics that I read. You know, it's why everybody always is like their favorite, like somebody out there, their first thing was Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And I roll my eyes at that. But I understand, I'm willing to understand that that was their first. And that nothing is, that's always going to be the high that they're chasing. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I didn't understand that until recently. And, and And so I kind of have to like watch myself and like remind myself that like everyone has a favorite issue and and 90% of them are terrible. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff that gets so built up, like built up to an impossible level. First time I ever read Craven's Last Hunt, I thought it was the worst piece of shit I'd ever <laughs> oh, read. You want to know damn. why? You want to know why? Yeah. Cuz I read it on a fucking sunny day. Huh. That was a stupid mistake. I need <laughs> That seems like a good perfectly good time to read comics to me. But not Craven's Last Hunt. No, that's a good point. And yeah. that's why I didn't like it. I didn't like it because of environment, not God because of the damn, story. Man. The first time I read that, I don't, I can't say for sure that I cried. I <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but, oh my God, that was probably the first comic I ever read where I was like, fuck. Yeah. Like, it blew me away. Yeah. I wish this was a Spider-Man podcast right now because I would go well, all and, in and on And sometimes, that. like, the way that I read reread the books beforehand is, like, you know, Ashley's fucking does puzzles all the time. So she'll be sitting around on, like, the floor doing a puzzle, and I'll be reading these, and we'll be, like, listening to records while we're doing it. But I told her, when we get to Demon Bear, get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> I need a very specific... Isolated, like I don't want her. Like, do you have a door in your Marvel room? No, I don't have any doors in the house except for the bathroom. Okay, that's, that's right. Really weird for people, but <laughs> it's very feng shui for me to just kind of have an open. Our kids' room doesn't have a door. Okay, um, but I I don't know if it had one when we moved in or not. Oh yeah, we, I, like I we cannot remember if there was a door there or not, but it's gone now. Yeah, um, which is good because Chloe would probably be slamming it in my face all the time. She's sassy. Yeah, I just I need the right music for that story, and it sucks because I don't even know what the story is. Yeah, so I can't really. But I need that experience to because that story has been built up to me the same way that like Calder's chocolate milk. Okay, your safe place. I am. Yeah, I'm into it. Damn man, I, I kind of want to be there. It's but I can't. I gotta be. <laughs> I gotta be isolated. I gotta find like the right. Because that's another thing. Like, a lot of the process of doing the show, it's like I put everything to, like, everything is memory to me. Mm -hmm. I only listen to certain records during certain times of year because I first listened to that song in the summertime. And, and, and the reason why I do that is because I think a lot of people take art for granted because it's just, oh, it's going to be there. And so one of the things that I do is, like, really deprive myself of things that I enjoy for a certain amount of time so that when I do get them yeah the first time I ever saw tits man like you can't get that back yeah 
Mrs. Severson's house, Chris Patterson, sitting next to me watching Porky's for the first time. I'm always going to remember. It was Porky's for me, too. What up? Oh, shit. <laughs> of course, it was pretty new when I saw it. The first real live tits I ever saw. Told my brother I'd never been to a strip club. So he snuck me in. <laughs> I was very young. How like young? Uncomfortably young. <laughs> How the hell did they let you in? There's places that you can go that don't really care. All right. Hunter. South of 8 Mile? You betcha. All right. I mean, this place probably had a name that, that was the last name of a very famous actor who might have been married to Warren Bacall. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about an English monarch. Oh, yeah, no. Hunter. I'll never forget her. Oh, man. Hunter. Damn near killed her. <laughs> That's, I wish I was and the her, funny one. Her, uh, her <laughs> outfit was green, and so I thought that name was like you know, green. tied to the outfit. Right. That's the type of things I thought about when I saw my first mm-hmm. pair of boobs, Jerry. It's like I wonder if like I was already in like superhero mode where I was like, Oh, matches the outfit. Hmm. Yeah. There's it's a cool. club around here that does a, a Wednesday night comic book night where they dress yes. up. Yes. I've heard stories. I don't know anything about it personally. Right. Right. You ready to go? Yeah. Should we release that as bonus content or something? Sure. That's a long stinger. That's all right. Just let it go. I'm gonna I'm going to put that in the end. All right, that's fine. Five people that find it are going to love that. This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for the Moon!